Here's what to expect today. The strategy that I've come up with, which is, it, my customers have found to be very, very helpful and useful, is what I call it the hub and spoke strategy. And the, the analogy is the wheel, one of the most fundamental inventions. But if you think about it, you know, you've, you've got a, the hub and, and you've got spokes. These, these things are nice, right? But unto themselves, by themselves, they don't have much value. The, the power comes from the connection. So in the if you think about it, the hub and spoke strategy, the website becomes the hub. And that's the fulcrum through which all things radiate. The digital marketing channels that you're going to be active in are the spokes. And your content and messaging strategy is the rim that holds it all together. Digital marketing tactics in isolation are expensive noise. The adventure of entrepreneurship and building a life and business you love, preferably at the same time, is not for the faint of heart. That's why Heather Pierce Campbell is bringing you a dose of guts, grit, and great business stories that will inspire and motivate you to create what you want in your business and life. Welcome to the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast, where endurance is required. Now here's your host, the legal website warrior, Heather Pierce Campbell. Alrighty. Hello. I am Heather Pierce Campbell, the legal website warrior. I'm an attorney and legal coach based here in Seattle, Washington, serving online entrepreneurs throughout the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to another episode of Guts, Grit, and Great Business. I'm super excited to welcome James Hipkin today. Welcome, James. Heather, I'm really happy to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too. I Before we were interrupted, we just had to edit a segment out. We were talking about the importance of websites and web presence and marketing to small business owners, really of any kind. And I am amazed constantly how many small online businesses I encounter that are apologizing for their website. I'm sure you've had this experience, right? So this is gonna be a great conversation because people need help in this department and they need to understand how do you do it right? How do you design and build a website the right way? How do you tie that into your overall marketing strategy, right? There's a lot to think about. So for folks that don't know James Hipkin, James, over a 40-year career, has worked in marketing and advertising at a high level. Since 2010, he has built his clients' businesses with digital marketing. James is an accomplished, forward-thinking marketing professional. His clients included Sprint, Apple, Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo Online Bank, Nestle, and Toyota. They appreciate his practical, no-nonsense approach. He has the scars and many stories to share. His stories are always valuable and entertaining. His humor and infectious, good-natured approach to marketing are fun and practical, but he never loses track of what's important. Marketing done well creates value for customers as well as the business. That's a great intro, James. Thank you. And, and it has the added value of being the truth. Right. Well, and I love people who can bring some fun to their work and who are also practical, right? We, oh, yeah. we need the no fluff, get right to the point, nuts and bolts of what works and what doesn't. And especially as a small business, we don't have time or money to spare. And especially in the digital marketing space, because 
you know, folks who are, you know, have expertise that they're trying to share and they're trying to use digital marketing, it can get very overwhelming very quickly. Yes. Because there's so many shiny things flying through and the squirrel ran by and, you know, you're brother-in-law is telling you you should do this and your friend down the street says my cousin is doing that and my god i had all this wonderful success with and it just gets overwhelming yeah and this has been for our customers a a real problem and so i kind of sat back and tried to think of a way that i could bring some sanity to all of this because it's the online not going back in the bottle. No. If the it's... pandemic has done anything, it's accelerated the growth of online activity and and it's accelerated the importance of having a strong online presence regardless of your business category. Well, that's right. And the, you know, it's I think people and small businesses included, um, but entrepreneurs, even solo entrepreneurs, they feel the need to be everywhere, right? We're told mm -hmm. you need to be everywhere. You need to show up and be in all the conversations and all the places that you're, you know, all the places that your clients are online. And and yet being able to put together a cohesive strategy to make that actually happen, I think is tremendously challenging for the average small business, right? It's, it, it's one of those things they don't want to have to think about. They want to outsource. They want somebody to solve that problem for them. It, right. And, but you said something very important in that, in that last sort of question, and that's, they want to be where they're uh, on, on the channels where their customers are. And I want to put a big underline under that, because that really is the key to all of this. Rather than being inside out, talking about yourself and, you know, thinking that you have to do all of these things, put your mind and put yourself into the mind of your customer. And they will tell you where you should be. They will tell you what it is you should be talking about. Because with all respect, for all of the wonderful things that your audience does, they are nothing more than a little dot in the perception of the average person out there. And there's that tendency to, to be all focused on themselves versus really understanding who their best customer is, what's their journey from... I have no interest in this whatsoever. Therefore, I don't even see what you're doing through to, I have a problem and I need to start considering what my options are through to focused prospecting. And this mm -hmm. creates a bell curve of interest. And that first purchase is at the top of the bell curve. But when we map a customer journey, we don't put the first purchase at the end of the customer journey. It's about two thirds of the way through. Because the first purchase is not the most important purchase. The second purchase is the most important purchase. Because when you can get them to buy from you twice, the chances that they will buy from you a third time are exponentially improved. Mm. And that's why we put the first purchase two thirds of the way through the journey. So if you map that journey, understand who your customers are, map the journey, what are the problems that they're trying to solve? you will be most of the way 
towards thinking about a digital marketing plan. Don't be in TikTok if your audience is over 40 and they don't even know what TikTok is. Right, right. You know, understand where they are. And your opinions about particular social media challenge channels are unimportant. Yeah. It's about where are your customers? And then be very focused on what is, there's an acronym that gets used in digital marketing. I wish I could say I invented it. I didn't. Uh, PASS. And it stands for problem, agitate the problem, solve the problem. Mm. And that, when you're thinking about online marketing, that works in the ads that you're creating, that works in the organic social media that you're doing, and it very much works as the driving strategy behind the copy on a website. Right. Start with the problem that you're solving and then use all of your characteristics and, and expertise and credentials as reasons to believe as reasons that your audience can believe that you can, in fact, solve their problems, but don't lead with it. Yeah. Well, and you are right that speaking to the problem, and I think so many people get this step wrong, right? Mm -hmm. They speak to the problem in the way that they think about it or their Mm -hmm. industry lingo. They don't speak to it in the way that their clients think about it or speak about it. That's right. And so the the strategy that I've come up with, which is, it, uh, my customers have found to be very, very helpful and useful is what I call it the hub and spoke strategy. Mm. And the, the analogy is the wheel, one of the most fundamental inventions. But if you think about it, you know, you've, you've got a, the hub mm-hmm. and it, it's nice. And, and you've got spokes. <laughs> For folks that are not watching the video, he's holding up visual examples of these things. Uh, and and the, th- the point is, these, these things are nice, right? But unto themselves, by themselves, they don't have much value. No, that's right. The, the power comes from the connection. So in the, if you think about it, the hub and spoke strategy, the website becomes the hub. And that's mm-hmm. the fulcrum through which all things radiate. Mm-hmm. The digital marketing channels that you're going to be active in are the spokes. And your content and messaging strategy is the rim that holds it all together. Mm. Digital marketing tactics in isolation are expensive noise. Oh my gosh. And people who are listening, who have tried that, right? They're, they've lived the pain of that experience. The number exactly. of entrepreneurs I've talked to that threw a bunch of money, for example, at Facebook ads or you know, tried some singular tactic because they were told that's what they should be doing. Right. Only to just have it operate like a big black hole with no real results. Exactly right. And the, the challenge is that there's nothing inherently wrong with Facebook ads or Google AdWords or any of the other choices. And if they're connected together in a cohesive way, you have you will have a very powerful success. I have one customer, he sells a specific kind of orchid. Not orchids in general, not houseplants in general, a specific kind of orchid. And he came to us with a really poorly performing website. And, and you know, first, first thing, we got him onto a platform that actually worked for him. And then mm-hmm. I talked to him about the hub and spoke strategy. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife concentrated on just two things. His audience is older 
and are very active in Facebook. He has beautiful photographs of all these beautiful plants. So it's a great medium for that. Yeah. And then he had an email list. So we built a new website for him. He focused on building his organic social media, his people. He focused on building his email list. He more than doubled his business in the first year, and he has subsequently tripled his business from that point. It's amazing. And what an example, like what a super, super niche, right? Super you don't, niche. Yeah. You don't usually hear businesses that tightly niched. So James, I want to back up. We we jumped right in and I want to hear more about your hub and spoke um, strategy, but talk to us a little bit about, about your background. Why websites? Why marketing? Tell us a little bit about your roots and your start in business. Uh, well, my start in business, I, I have a somewhat checkered past. Um, I graduated from college with a music degree and corporate America wasn't exactly knocking my door down. Right. Music uh, as in like pedagogy or what? Composition and theory. Okay. Classical music. Hmm. I played the tuba in orchestras. Amazing. <laughs> but I was very active in the music scene and I spent six years out of college, working in the rock and roll industry, touring with major recording artists, people that you would know about. And then at the at the ripe old age of 30, I got a job in an advertising agency. My mother was very happy. <laughs> Celebrated <laughs> through a party. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's how I got involved in, started to get involved in marketing and advertising was through that deciding that I didn't want to be on the road anymore. Mm. I didn't want to live that life. It was too crazy. And so I got this job in advertising because the piece I enjoyed most about what I was doing in the past was the the marketing. And, mm. and I, I had a strong influence from a, a I worked closely with a Canadian band and the leader of the band was a very strong influence on this. His name is Getty Lee. He's the leader of a band called Rush. Mm. And this Getty Lee is an extremely smart guy. And they were one of the very first music artists to vertically integrate. They owned their own publishing. They owned their own record company. They owned their own sound and lights. They vertically integrated right from the very beginning. Mm. Very smart young men. Very entrepreneurial very entrepreneurial and very, very successful. Mm. And, you know, it was a listening to him talk about marketing and talk about positioning. And and we're talking a heavy metal rocker here, right? So the, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, very, very smart. And that's what opened my mind to this. And that's, that's where it all started. Mm. And then I spent years in marketing and advertising uh, for, four different countries and three different continents. Um, and then at, at, I got, I was running the digital group in, at an agency in San Francisco and my, our largest client was Toyota. And it was, that was really super interesting, but I was getting a little bit older, you know, uh, and it was time to think about the future. So I bought a vendor because I, I kept seeing that, websites were being considered an online brochure. And I was thinking about them as a tremendously wonderful opportunity to create mutual value. 
to create value for customers as well as value for the business. So I had a different perspective on it. And that was 10 years ago. And that's what we've been doing at Red 8 Interactive all this time is, is focused on building the best possible websites, typically for large corporations. Um, and then four years ago, we started developing a product for smaller businesses mm. um, that's called Innately. That's and, right. You but and I... the, the underlying strategy, the underlying thinking, the, the passion is there to, to use this knowledge and experience to help mm. business owners take full advantage of the online space. Because as we said at the beginning, it's not going away. Yeah. It's becoming more and more important every day. And it and it's evolving, and we it, yeah. and having an online presence, a website strategy is not a set it and forget it strategy, no, right? It's not. Yeah, so it's a. It reminds me actually what you're talking about, like you know, web 1.0, just a placeholder, a brochure, mm-hmm. like a place that you know somebody could show up and get some information about you, yep. but very little interaction, right. very little client experience. You know, you and I connected through LinkedIn and I've talked openly on my podcast about how much I love LinkedIn as a way to really make meaningful connections if Mm -hmm. you use it the right way. Right. Right. And a lot of people don't, but it it went through a revolution, right? Used to be just a placeholder for resumes, essentially. And then, you know, for anybody who has spent any amount of time on LinkedIn, it, it went through a massive change where people understood, oh my gosh, I could be using this an entirely different way to speak directly to my clients and provide value first. Right. And LinkedIn is a great example of something else as well, Heather. Uh, And you talked about how things are always changing and being sensitive to that and open to that. Imagine if the brand Rolodex had decided that they were going to evolve (laughs) and became LinkedIn. Right. And the, the funny thing about that, I, I think you and I spoke before scheduling, you know, this, this interview. And I probably, like I said to you, I say to everybody, put me in your Rolodex, like, right, the original old fashioned mm-hmm. list of names and connections. I remember as a kid looking at my dad's Rolodex on, you know, and he had hundreds and hundreds yep. of contacts in this Rolodex. But yeah, you're right. What if, what if they had evolved? Right. And, and being that's so important to business owners today is that you, you can't get caught up. You have to understand the difference between principles because the fundamental principles haven't changed. Mm -hmm. It's all still all about relationships. Yes. And people buy people. That's right. The, the media that you get to choose from has evolved and changed, but the underlying principles are the same. I love that. You know, I had a, uh, remember I had a, I got called up on the carpet. I had to go down to Los Angeles to meet with the the Toyota um, corporate folks. The, the legal department was upset with something we were doing. <laughs> Darn and lawyers. They said that, you know, we needed to put terms and conditions in the banner ads that we were running for a lease offer. Mm. You're a lawyer. You know about terms and conditions. Yes, I do. And and I said, no. And they would, what do you mean you said no? You can't say no to us. We're the lawyers. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't, I'm saying no, not going to do it. And it got into a 
and so we ended up in this meeting in Los Angeles with the chief marketing officer, myself, and like a bunch of lawyers, all dressed in suits, all looking very official. And they explained why I had to do this. And I just looked at them all and I said, no. And they said, well, how can you say no? I said, well, you've got no backup. You can't defend your point of view. And I can defend mine. And they're like, how would you defend your point of view? And I opened my briefcase and I poured out on the, to the conference table a briefcase full of direct mail packages. Now, you go through these, they're, they're Toyota, they're all of the competitive brands, et cetera. They're all lease offers. You go through and you find terms and conditions on any of these outer envelopes. And they looked at me and I said, a banner ad is a, is a digital outer envelope. It has one job and that's to be clicked. Right. An outer envelope has one job and that's to be opened. And we walked out of the meet and they, they shook their head and go, hmm, okay, carry on. And, and we walked out and the chief marketing officer turned to me and said, I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, the, well, and the interesting thing about the legal world, especially, I'll call it the traditional legal world, right, is you get a lot of, no, you can't do that. Yeah. And often there needs to be somebody inside the business saying, here are our goals. How do you help us meet these goals, right, right. in a way that's reasonable, that that right. respects the law, tries to meet the, you know, what is absolutely required of us, but also allows the business to operate exactly and and what i did in that circumstance and the reason i told that story mm. is that i went back to basic principles the mechanism has changed the, the principles the media that not. we're using to deliver has changed yes. but the principles underlying it have not that's right it's, and and that's so true in in so many things when you think about it all of the overwhelming choices you have in digital marketing, mm -hmm. go back to basic principles. Who is your audience? Where are they? What is the problem that they're trying to solve? And then start using these spokes as ways to get your message out to your people and get your people to come back to you. Right, into your world. So that world. you can create value for them and for your business. Yeah. Well, and you know that what you just said about the the nature of business being that relationships are essential. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of industries and, and people within the industries that are changing and that are fearful about what's to come because mm -hmm. of everything becoming digitized, you know, automation, robots, AI, all of this stuff. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I don't think it I don't think the nature of people will change that they no. want to do business with other people. They want to hire experts that they like. They want the relationship that comes right. with that. Right. No and, like and trust. Yeah, that's right. And I just don't know that that can ever be severed in a meaningful way because we're humans. We're pretty slow to change actually. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And that concept of I mean, I'm sure a lot of your audience are familiar with marketing funnels and probably many mm -hmm. of them are using marketing funnels. Yeah. And that's awesome. Marketing funnels is as old as marketing. Mm -hmm. This is not a new thing. <laughs> you know, it's about attracting the right people into the top 
And then, but the piece that often gets missed is the mid-funnel activity. They go right from, hi, my name is, to, hey, do you want to go home with me? Right. You know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't work like that. Well, and even to your point about thinking about the bell curve and that the first purchase is two thirds of the way along that curve, right? right. That two thirds of the way along their journey. Along their journey. That's yeah. right. That there's so much that needs to be done at the right. front end, right? And people try to quantify this like, oh, you know, it's, it takes on average 17 touch points with a client before they're going to really engage with your stuff or become a client or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. The point is, whatever your business, whatever the path, you have to nurture. That's right. And and create opportunities for what I call microtransactions. Uh, and you, you want to think of it, and if you're thinking about it in terms of a funnel, the microtransactions at the top of the funnel are very low cost. As, cost, you, low risk. as people move through their journey and are moving through your funnel, the microtransactions are increase in value. You know, an example might be at the top of the funnel, if they were to like a Facebook post, that's a very low cost microtransaction. Further down, if they were to exchange their email address for a lead magnet, that is a richer microtransaction. Little bit further down, maybe they book a call with you to find out, to hear from you. But at that point, they're not going to book the call the first time they hear about you. They need to go through this process. They need to, you need to earn their trust. I use the acronym TTV for, for funnels traffic, trust, value. Mm -hmm. And there, it's in that order, starts at the top with traffic, mid-funnel is about building trust, and the bottom of the funnel is about creating mutual value. Yeah, It's not about selling stuff, it's about creating mutual value. Um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I did a lot of work in relationship marketing. And one of the things that we observed is 90% of loyalty problems can be traced to a flawed sales process. Yes. Because yes. people think the, the people in the marketing department think that they're, they have a brand, but their customers think that they have a product with a name. And, and that the distinction between those two things is very important. Yeah. Because if you're just buying a product with a name and the competitor comes along and his his product is shinier or lower cost or whatever, well, I'll try that. That's right. A brand is developed through the what I call relationship equity. And that relationship equity is when value is created that goes beyond the functional and transactional benefits of the product or service. Right. The client has an experience with your that's company. Right. Yes. Yes. That creates that's loyalty. That's when a brand starts to get created. <laughs> that's when you've moved beyond a product with a name. Yeah. You know, and that, that these and these are all things that are, you know, good news, much easier to do in the digital world if you go about doing them than it used to be back in the late 90s when I was doing this with direct mail packages. Right? Interesting. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to do, but the underlying principles haven't changed. Yeah. 
Well, and it's, you know, when you think about the importance of developing trust in those early days, even with those small micro transactions, mm-hmm. I think I've, I've witnessed businesses who do it right. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're really clear when you see a business doing it wrong. Right. And, you know, being in the legal side of the world, I hear about businesses doing it wrong because mm-hmm. people become really upset or disgruntled about the experience they're having and generally right. looking for money back or trying to recover from that scenario. And it's, you know, it's interesting to think about the businesses that do it right and their ability to continue that relationship. Because I think one of the other biggest missed opportunities we have in business generally is our lack of follow-up with first-time buyers. Exactly right. Because they're at the top of the interest curve. They're at the top of the bell curve. Just because they bought from you once doesn't mean their interest disappears. Right. That's when they're really open to, to reinforcement. Have I made a good decision? Am I being valued for more than just this transaction? Right. But what do so many small businesses do? Turn around and go looking for the next customer. That's right. Instead of how to continue to take care of this one. And and there's there's a business reason for doing this. Loyal customers contribute value to the business in five ways. Oh, I love this. And this is this is proven. I that was originally documented by a, a gentleman named Reichheld, who worked with the Bain Consulting Group. He wrote a book called The Loyalty Effect, which is really, really old now, still valid. And basically what he said is there are five ways that loyal customers build. And I've tested this with my bank clients. I had Visa as a client for a long time. You know, a 5% improvement in loyalty can increase the net present value of a customer base, but anywhere from 20 to 95%. And when we worked on the loyalty programs with Sprint over a five-year period, the last four years, we were generating 20% growth on revenue on a $2 billion base of business without changing market share. And it's because the longer you keep them, the more return you have on the investment required to acquire them. The longer they're with you, the better they understand how your product or services work. Therefore, they're less less expensive to to maintain. The longer they're with you, the more loyal they are, the more likely they are to buy other products and services from you. The longer they're with you, the more they understand your value proposition, you don't have to bribe them. They'll pay full price happily. And the longer they're with you, the loyal customers advocate for you. Right. They become a driver. They bring in other people who, oddly enough, look just like them. So that, that's five ways that customers drive value. That's how we were able to get those kinds of numbers to generate by focusing in on best customers. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even focusing just on one of those, right? Looking at the cost that it takes to create a new client, Mm -hmm. you don't continue to take care of that client. You're basically walking away from that sunk cost, right? And it, there's so much more potential left there. And that piece at the end about they, they become advocates for your business. It's like, 
for clients that have come back year after year, you know, their businesses are growing. I I'm having to provide them with, you know, different legal services as their businesses grow. You know, I had one recently and I, I speak regularly like you, I get on podcasts, I educate entrepreneurs, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I watch for speaking opportunities and I'm regularly invited to, to groups to share about legal stuff. And I had a client come and he's got a high-end mastermind or something that he runs full of my people, mm-hmm. right? He says, can I pay you $3,000 to basically come pitch to my group? <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about that, right? Just a short presentation. And I mean, I, I jokingly, you know, pitch, meaning that I have no doubt that I will create relationships within that group because they are the type of people that I care about and serve online. Right. But it literally is my standard presentation where all I'm doing is showing up and educating them on their business, right? And right. all of this is an example of what you're talking about. When clients become advocates for you, mm-hmm. they continue to pay you, they have no problem paying you, and they're introducing you to other people who are going to pay you. And they'll be happy to buy other things from you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's where, you know, email marketing becomes such a vital. There's only two digital things that you as a business owner actually own it's your website mm. and your email list all the rest of it is rented land and they can change the rules with and they won't consult you're talking with you. yes third party platforms third party platforms yes, yes. it's rented land P- businesses that come, oh, I don't need a website I have a facebook page Right now, one of my clients is building the inside of her business, which is largely based around a membership group, Mm -hmm. right inside of a third party platform. And I asked her, okay, you're developing your own website alongside this, right? Like you're redirecting people back to, and she was kind of like, well, I was like, no, no, well, like, yes, you are. Yes, you are going to do this <laughs> Right. for that very reason. I've had other colleagues and friends who did build their entire businesses based on a third-party platform just to have Google wake up one day and say, oh, we're going to get rid of Google Plus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Something like that. Right. There it or goes. They're, they're, you know, suddenly Facebook, well, people back in the day, you could build a business on, on Facebook and it would <laughs> organic. You put a post on your group and it went out to all of the people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that anymore. No, it doesn't. If you get 10% of them, see what you post, you're lucky. Right. You've got to pay now. <laughs> yeah, you have to pay now. Yes. And and they didn't they didn't consult with any of us before they changed these rules. <laughs> no, they don't. And we make them billions of dollars every year, all of us, right? Yeah, yeah it is really such an important point that you've just raised. You have right. to have a home base that you own, right? And, Which and you need to work with people who who you can trust. I see this frequently. Because of ignorance, they'll have a website and they'll be out paying for a third-party service for membership, and they'll be paying for a third-party service for click funnels or something along those lines. And they're paying for th- they've got all these third party. What they don't realize is that a well-built website can do all of those things for one cost. Mm. 
Yes. So take us back to your hub and spoke system, right? And walk us through that. What does it look like for a small business to design an effective system? Right. And that's where using the website as your hub, and this can be a difficult conversation, particularly if you're in brick and mortar retail, trying to convince them that no, in fact, your storefront is, is a spoke. It is not the hub of your business. Interesting. And, you know, you need to be thinking about the storefront as a great place to build your email list and send people back to the website for more information about their products and services. And they're they're going to go to the website to find out if you're open during President's Day or whatever it is that they're, et cetera. You know, when we build websites for restaurants and, and brew pubs and things like that, mm-hmm. the number one thing that we're there is their, their hours and their address. Even that point, and it's interesting you raise that. Obviously, I live primarily in the online world of business, and I've you know I've had a virtual legal office for years. But the for those that do have a brick and mortar component, it's like you even look at what COVID has done to the mm-hmm. restaurant industry, right? Right. Even in you know twenty nineteen, the number of restaurants that did not have online menus or place right. an online order, right? Now you cannot be a restaurant and not have that functionality built into your website in some manner, even if it's through a third party party ordering platform, right? Right. That's right. And, and it's, you know, that's becomes the reality. So the website becomes the hub and that's where you can push value out to your customers and prospective customers. You can solve their problems. You can give them a path to follow so that they can get the information that they're looking for. When they eventually do sign up with you, it's for the right reasons, right? They've made it. They haven't been bribed into doing something. They haven't been tricked into doing something. They're there for the right reasons. Then you can use the website to push content back out to them mm-hmm. to be create value <laughs> instructional information you know how to use the product or service better you know innovations that have come along um the the strategy i typically try to recommend is, is uh, 70 20 10 70 percent of the content should be focused on creating just value around your product and service of the content should be curated content where you found content that other people have published that you think would be of value to your peeps. Mm. And then 10% is more sales oriented in your products and changes that you've made in your product, et cetera. But when you take that posture, that 10% stops being a sales message and starts being more valuable information. Yes. Yep. And that's where you get such high conversion rates out of existing customers because you've earned it. Mm, Yeah. You don't, at that point, you don't need to sell. That's right. Right. You just talk about this other solution that lives over here and they show up for it. It's part of the flow of valuable information that you're sharing with your customers. Yeah. Oh, I love that. The, the ratio, I think, is really helpful, like even from a visual standpoint, breaking that down on your website, because um, you can think about especially different industries and the typical websites that you see within those industries. And I just mm-hmm. think some get it really wrong. I'll, I'll right. speak first about legal, right? I come from mm-hmm. the legal industry and I used to be a professional photographer 
alongside my legal practice in the early days. So like you, I had kind of an artistic bent, you know, that I Mm -hmm. nurtured for some time and it drove me crazy. The websites I would see in the legal industry and how, how impersonal they were and the lack of information or guidance or, you know, like it was a placeholder. People would Mm -hmm. show up and get a name, get the firm name. And it was like, they didn't even have to do any marketing. Right. It's funny that you bring that up because professional services is one of the areas where there's a fundamental disconnect between the customer journey and outside in versus inside out. Why is that, do you think? uh, Hubris. Mm. I think has a lot to do with it. Mm. Um, But the reality is, you know, professional services people, ah, yes, I know my website's old, but I don't get any leads from my website. Right. Right. And I'll, and I, I said, okay, so, but the problem is you can't see the null set. You can't see all of the people who heard about your firm through word of mouth or saw something in social media or however they heard about it. And they went to your website to confirm that you understood their problem and could solve their problem. Yeah. And when they get to the website and they get this and they see nothing but a bunch of smiling faces in blue suits, maybe smiling, not even always smiling. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a bunch of faces with something up there anyway. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. And, I and hate to make like, fun of my colleagues, but it's true. There are many who are doing it better these days. Let's be clear. There are many who are on the right trend and yeah. we still need to catch everybody up. Right. And that that's a that's an interesting thing. I the vast majority of professional services, they do not understand the objective of their website. No. And the primary objective is not conversion. The primary objective is confirmation. And I think continuing to create that no like trust factor, exactly. right? Give Especially... them the clear path mm-hmm. that you can, I'm, I am, you know, if you're one of these, then here, we have some information for you. If you can get them to click on that and go to that next page, then you're, you've supported their journey and you've built relationship with them. That is a microtransaction. And it builds the no like and trust. And if they get to that page and they get valuable information and valuable content that speaks to their problem, that's the mutual exchange of value, which brings, pulls up the relationship equity. Yes. You know, you'll see a lot of these things that I'm talking about, they all cycle with each other. Mm. And it's, and they're not, they're not complicated ideas. They're fairly simple ideas, but they're, fundamental principles and they work. What what's the primary question people should be asking themselves about their website? Like I know you do this website audit, right? Right. What is one thing that that anybody who's listening right now should either ask themselves or look at? Like what's the lens that they should look at their website through? What's the number one thing? If you had to choose just one. It, it, that's a great question. Engagement. Mm. And the reality is that the average website person has an attention span that's shorter than a goldfish. Isn't that depressing? You have six seconds or less to engage folks. And keep in mind, part of that six seconds is the time it takes your website to load. 
which many websites do not very well, right? Which many websites do not do very well. And then you've got a number of things that you have to do. Am I in the right place? That's about branding. That's about consistency in color palette, consistency in font, et cetera. Then give me a benefit-oriented reason to stay, which is about leading with the problem you're solving, not with all of your features and attributes. Give me a benefit-oriented reason to stay and then make it crystal clear what I should do next. And one one of the manifestations of that last point is navigations that have six, seven, eight choices in them. No more than four. Interesting. Three is even better. And it's hard. (laughs) I know it's hard, but you've got to put yourself in. If you want to engage folks that come to your website, you need to be focused on that. David Ogilvy, an old ad guy from New York, used to say the essence of strategy is sacrifice. It's what's left out. Yeah. Yes. Stuff. You've got to leave stuff out because you have to understand that journey. If you understand that journey and you create value that works with what the audience is trying to accomplish, you're going to be getting a sale for the right reason. You're going to be building a relationship. Mm. So that, that the answer engagement is the number one thing that you should be thinking about. And you vote and recognize sad reality. You have six seconds or less to accomplish a whole lot of things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Think about, I mean, I think you can think about your own experience visiting a website that didn't work properly or didn't load effectively, or, you know, you get there and you're confused about like, what should I do next? Or where are things, you know, you just have no interest in wasting. It's a little bit like starting a bad television show. You know, I always joke with my husband who I will say, doesn't always choose good shows or movies to watch. He (laughs) thinks he does. We have different tastes. It turns out. But I always tease him like, well, that was three hours of my life. I'll never get back. Right. But the same on a, on a smaller scale goes for like visiting something that frustrates you, you know, uh-huh. but it happens. So and frequently. it does happen because they'll get, you know, a designer will show up and I'll see this when I'm doing website audits, I'll see a website. It's really pretty, mm-hmm. but it's not effective, but it's not effective because it's not useful mm-hmm. because they're busy people right? There's a reason it's six seconds or less. They're busy people and they're there for a reason. So what are the one one or two top tips you have for increasing that engagement, whether it's from a design perspective, whether it's from a functionality perspective? It's mostly about messaging and recognizing, you know, the past thing we talked about before. What's the problem? Agitate the problem, solve the problem, and then give them a clear Call that. Where should they go next? Make yeah. that crystal clear. Yeah. And then things like um, your features and attributes become reasons to believe. They come. But occur much later. They occur. recur later. Yeah. Because you can't really convince them that you are the best choice for them until they've actually engaged with you, and they're not going to engage with you because you've told them that, that you've been in business for twenty years. They don't care. No, they want to know if you can solve their problem. 
Yeah. And if you're describing their problem in the way that they relate to it. That's right. Now, if they have that engagement and then you tell them that you've been in business for 20 years, well, that's support. That's reason to believe. This justification for me to take the next step. Testimonials are very powerful for that, especially video testimonials. You know, brands that I've worked with, those icon maps that you see, those are all great reasons to believe and great support for yes. what it is that you're, why, why you're a good choice. But give them a path. So aside from missing the boat on on messaging, right, which has to be the core of everything, and not providing people a clear path, a call, call to action, you know, mm -hmm. what's next? What other primary, like like most frequent website mistakes do you see? Eye tracking. Most people are right-handed. Most people track from the upper left-hand corner to the lower right-hand corner. Mm -hmm. I see so many websites where the call to action is in the lower left-hand corner, which is the least eye-tracked spot on a web page. They've got a beautiful picture of a model. Everybody's going to their website right now, like looking at it, like what, what's on my lower left-hand corner? <laughs> <laughs> so they'll have a beautiful picture of a model in the right-hand side and the model is looking off into the, looking ethereally <laughs> off into the distance away from the headline. And the headline is over in the left-hand side and the call to action button is sitting down underneath that. Okay. If you look at well-built e-commerce sites, they do photo shoots. Zappos was famous for this. Um, they do photo shoots and they pose the model so that the model's eye tracking is in alignment. The art director sets it up so the eye tracking is looking at the call to looking at the buy now button. Interesting. Because, All the details. Because people, it's all subliminal. Yep. We we did a website for a, uh, he was a former New York state senator. He didn't get reelected. So he was, he was a lawyer. He put a shingle out and said, I'm going to be a lobbyist. And I'm going to help New York state businesses understand how to work with the state government because I have years and years in the legislature. And he was very well qualified for this. And he wasn't getting any traction. And he came to us and we said, well, your website's all inside out. All you're doing is talking about yourself. You're not telling people how you're going to solve their problem. And all of your call to actions are in the lower left-hand corner. So we found a nice piece of stock photography of a statue in a clearly government situation, but the statue was looking. We put the statue on the left. We put his benefit statement on the right. We put the call to action button down underneath it. We cleaned out all of the other stuff. He called me up the other day and I asked him how he was doing because it had been a couple of years. I said, he said, do I think you think, do you think I should refresh the website? And I said, Craig, is your phone ringing? Because I can't get it to stop. But no, you don't need to do anything. No, you website. don't need to do anything. <laughs> I'd it's love working. to take your money, man. I really would, but right? you don't need to. 
Well, and that, you know, what a great testimonial that is. How many people are sitting here going, man, I wish I had a website that had my phone ringing off the hook. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what I started with at the beginning of our conversation was what I hear most often because I work with folks who all need to have strong digital presence and, you know, a primary website that works and is functional right. and does all the right things. But how often they're like, oh, you know, this one is eight years old and it's an embarrassment at this point. And, you know, and they haven't touched it. They, you know, somehow are still running their business with, you know, something that is not making their phone run off the hook, but they're so busy trying to do things in other areas of the business. Right. Right. But it's a lot of like apologies for an old or non-functional or ridiculous website. (laughs) So talk to those people. What, what gets somebody like that to move and make a better decision? Well, I I think one of the things that we could do, um, I I offer a a free six seconds or less website audit. And if it's a great opportunity to, to have a conversation around these kinds of topics you know, I try to be gentle. I try to be kind. <laughs> and um, I'm sure we need to be direct, right? But but we're clear in, in terms of the things because I, I know in my gut fundamentally from years of experience that these things that I'm talking about work. Yeah, absolutely. And it will make their business more successful. So if somebody is interested mm-hmm. in taking advantage of that, they can go to six seconds or less.com and that will redirect them to a Calendly link and they will be able to book uh, a free six seconds or less website audit. And I would be happy to talk through what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, how they can improve things in terms of their website and in terms of their digital and online presence. That's amazing and very generous. If you're look, if you're listening Definitely put this on your list of to-dos, especially if you've got a website that you know is not efficient. Um, I will include that link as well as any others that um, James would like me to include at the show notes page, which is legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. James, where else are you online? Like obviously people should be taking advantage of that. Are you on LinkedIn? Are you other places where you like for people to connect with you? I am on LinkedIn. And at, like you, I, I believe it's a very underutilized and, and powerful platform where we can have real serious conversations about things. Um, our, our website is innately.com. That's I-N-N, the number eight, L-Y.com. A little bit of a pun there for the English majors. The in, like we take care of you. And our little tagline is websites without worry, which of course is www. Um, right. You can, you can take the boy out of the English class. You can't take the English <laughs> class out of the boy. Aren't words so fun? <laughs> and so, but it has the, you know, that's what we're all about is websites yeah. without worry. Yeah. Because we know that these, these small businesses, they, they know they need to have an online presence. They want it to be better, but they don't want to be a webmaster. And we're a full we're a full service proposition. We take care of it for you. 
Yeah, that's amazing. None of us should be our own webmasters. <laughs> There's Just that too. Take that off your plate. Yes. Well, James, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about your experience and your knowledge and the importance of this topic, particularly for small businesses. Yes. Um, anything else you want to leave people with today? I think the last thought, and it builds from one of your very earliest questions, and where we talked about the overwhelming thing, don't try to boil the ocean. Pick one or two things that you know your audience relates to and do them really well. Mm. Don't get that. caught up in the shiny thing syndrome and all the other stuff that's swirling around. Pick one or two things, do them really well, and watch the benefits flow. Mm. Yes. Well, and how, like what a sigh of relief, I think, you know, people breathe when they hear that that can be done and it doesn't mm -hmm. take boiling the ocean. <laughs> James, so great to see you today. Thank you very much for coming and spending some time with us. It's been my absolute pleasure, Heather. I'm, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. I am as well. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast. We hope that we've added a little fuel to your tank, some coffee to your cup, and pep in your step to keep you moving forward in your own great adventures. For key takeaways, links to any resources mentioned in today's show and more, see the show notes, which can be found at legalwebsitewarrior.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, so others will find us too. Keep up the great work you are doing in the world, and we'll see you next week.